The Tablet Show, episode 58, with guest Mark Miller. Recorded live Tuesday, October 16th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Mark Miller about modern UI design. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Albany! Welcome to the Tablet Show! Albany Rock! Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out to the .NET Rocks road trip. We're here in Albany, New York. With uh, Mark Miller, who we're going to talk about in a second, uh, talk to in a second. We don't have to talk about him at all. We can talk about him all we want. Okay. How are you, Mr. Campbell? I'm well. We are, what, about a third of the way through the road trip now? Just this a little more than a third. Stop 14. Yeah, you realize, 36. like, yeah, tomorrow stop would be the same length as the last road trip. Yeah, we'd be going home right now if we had any sense. Yeah. I mean, you almost are, because we'll be in Boston, but right now we're in Albany. Right. And the next uh, stop is Monkey Space. Yeah, I love the co-location at the uh, the Nerd facility in uh, in Cambridge. Cambridge. It's going to be fun talking to Don Syme. All right, well, let's just get started with Better Know Framework. So what do you got, sir? Well, I of course have my Windows 8 tablet here. Of course you do. And Second you know one, as I what recall. I have not done? Hmm? I have not gone looking through the Windows Store. Oh, wow. Of course you haven't. No. Well, why, of been, course? Because you've been building your own apps. Why would you need to go to the true. store? I, I've actually been head down writing code yeah. on this whole road trip. Now that we're, you know, things are running smoothly, we're, mm-hmm. you know, looking for things to do. So I'm sitting here. Only took us a dozen tries. We've about got to figure yeah, it out. Pretty much, yeah. So I look at the store, and here's the store app, and you can see there, there's a little green square that says top free hmm and this shows the top 98 free apps wow in the store and i'm just gonna hit the highlights here wikipedia xbox smart glass which allows you to control your xbox with your tablet cool fruit ninja fresh paint solitaire remote desktop cut the rope ebay pinball netflix uh evernote here's a couple of good ones OneNote mx star chart Hmm. Star chart is something that you basically, if you have an accelerometer, you can hold it up to the sky, and as you move it around, it tells you what you're looking at. It nice. shows you what you're looking at. I got an app like that on my phone, but on a tablet, yeah. that'd be really cool. On a more tablet, it's space. actually really usable. Nice. Yep. Of course, TED Talks HD. That's good. This is a good one that I like, It's which is a, a radio app. Uh, where is it? To- tune in radio. Hmm. Yep. Very cool. And uh, Music Maker Jam, there's all sorts of stuff like Popular Science USA Today, a movie guide, uh, Metro Twit, which is a Twitter client, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of games, of course, and Gadget, Weatherbug, uh, there's also Tom's Hardware, mm-hmm. We, you are a huge Tom's Hardware fan, I am. right? So there's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of cool things that I, I didn't know existed are there in the top free 98 apps. Nice. So that's it. Cool. That's what I got. I like oh, it. Learn it, love it. There's not much to know or learn, but just to go explore the store. Yeah, there's lots of stuff in there. Good surf. 
Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed an email referring to show 40, so a while back. And this is from Daniel Graff. Show for, Oh, show 40 of the yeah. tablet show. Ah, right. And show 40 of the tablet show, we were talking about Windows Phone 8 and the fact that none of the hardware would upgrade. It was going right. to be all new gear. And we were a little distressed about that, as you recall. We this were. is what Daniel says. I noticed you guys were speculating there wasn't a technical reason for not bringing the Lumia 900 up to the WinPhone 8 specifications other than perhaps the GPU. But the WinPhone 8 says that there will have hardware encryption that the Lumia 900 does not have. And for me, this is important that they don't make exceptions to this requirement because the corporation I work for has a policy that the device operating system does not guarantee hardware encryption, then you can't connect to Exchange. Hence, no Android phones are allowed because not all Android phones have it. And the only version of iOS that would have to have it, as well as Blackberries, can be used. Uh, so my Windows Phone gets no email, and if Windows Phone 8 makes even one exception, they won't be allowed to either. Keep up the good work, Daniel. Well, there you go. So it's not just about software. Well, I just think the whole thing's a little crazy, because what actually decides encryption is the server, not the client. Hardware encryption means what? There's actually... A, a processor in there designed to do encryption. processor just for encryption. But in encryption. the end, encryption is encryption. Whether a hardware device does encryption or software does encryption, it's the same encryption. But is there some kind of key hidden value inside that uh, hardware No, encryption? you'd never do that because then it could be exploited. Yeah. Right? I mean, the whole point of the encryption keys is that they have to be replaceable and dynamic. So you mm -hmm. don't want them in hardware. Mm -hmm. Hardware encryption just speeds the encryption up. But the main thing is if you've got an exchange server, you can say, if you're not encrypted, you don't connect to me. Period. You can bring any device you want, but if it doesn't follow encryption rules, you're out. Okay. So I'm not sure what you're concerned about, Daniel, because that really doesn't affect anything. But in the end, you're not making that decision anyway. It sounds like your company has an interesting policy yeah. that should cripple you unnecessarily. I'd like to know more about why, mm -hmm. why that is. But it doesn't matter. I'm going to send you a mug anyway so Absolutely. you can drown your sorrows in a fine and precious tablet show mug. <laughs> and if you'd like a tablet show mug, all you got to do is write a comment on the site at thetabletshow.com. Hey, guess what? Mark Miller is here. Woohoo! <laughs> Mark, uh, your Code Rush demos never fail to impress me, and this was no different. Um, wow, it's amazing to see what you're up to lately, and every time I see it, I wish I spent more time learning the, the commands of Code Rush. Uh, Thanks, Carl. Great stuff. Didn't you like it? Yeah. yeah, it just looks like magic. You think about UI in a really interesting way. It always surprises me, because it's almost like you're anti-UI. The, the minimum amount of stuff on the screen, the minimum distraction, like it's to the point where I, sometimes I'm struggling for the cues you're seeing. It's some of them are so subtle. I see. Yeah. Well, I, I do do that. If you're struggling, then it's, I'm either going too fast or I'm making a mistake. Well, you're always going too fast. That's a given. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, they are, subtlety is, is one of the goals, right? The, you know, we've talked before and we've talked about, you know, I, I know I've been on and talked to you about this concept of information relevance. And mm -hmm. if the information is important, it needs to, to, to be easily seen and it needs to stand out. Mm -hmm. If it's not, it needs to totally be not distracting at all. And but if you need to see it, you can still read it. It's right. still readable, right? Clear enough yeah. to read. Um, and and so as a result, I mean, we're 
there, there's this side concept. And I don't know if I've talked to you guys about this or mm-hmm. not in any of the past shows, but there's this companion kind of concept that impacts both this idea of, of information relevance and actually a lot of other UI decisions. And it's a concept of granularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and it's, it's kind of, I want to call it like distinctual granularity. And it's, the number of variations on an element, like its shade, for example, you know, that are visual, that are easily distinguishable right. without side by side comparison. So, so as an example, just a simple example, if we have two shades, like for example, black and white, I show you black, you easily can say, okay, that's black, and I right. show you white, you easily see it's white. If I put a middle color in there, you can still tell the difference. If I put two more middle colors between the middle color and the ends, I've got five colors, five shades of gray now. You can s- probably still tell me which one is which. But there's mm-hmm. a point in which it gets too granular to well, tell one, the difference. One more after that, and you're in trouble. Now, when we're talking about text, for example, or lines drawn on a background, text mm-hmm. on a background, right? Well, the background tends to be at one of those two extremes, like, you know, it's either white or black or very light or very dark, right? That's what text, the, the background tends to be. Yeah, because you want it to stand out. Right, so what contract. happens then, if you imagine those five distinct, visually distinct granularity pieces, you lose two of them. You can't use white text on white background, yep. and the very light one on white doesn't look so good either, mm-hmm. right? It's a, so you really kind of get three. And so, and at least when we're talking about colors and shades, shades, at least yeah. of a single hue. And, and so, so the granularity piece that is, that keeps coming back. And, and like I said, it impacts this. It also impacts size decisions as well. Like how big is the font? How big is the font? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You could go and say, well, look, I have all this information I'm, I'm putting on the screen. And you could go and give it each a number. You could say, this is a hundred. A hundred means it's very important. And this is one. It means, you know, not so much. Mm-hmm. So your granularity is now 100. If you went and then, you know, applied the shading and you applied the sizing, what happens now is we have an absence of consistency. We have what appears to be visual noise. It's all over the place. So the granularity comes in and it, it, it reels in your choices, right? So you have guidelines that say match emphasis to importance. And then you have granularity that says, you know, pick like, you know, three categories of mm-hmm. emphasis. Right, you know, so if you're going titles, you know, you'll have a title size, you'll have maybe a mid, mid font title size and a detailed font size or something right. like that, right? So, so those are kind of, those are guidelines. And, and so, and, and so yeah, the subtlety is intentional. It's, mm-hmm. it's, we, we try to do it. And th- w- one other thing with subtlety is you can combine subtlety with things that are not so subtle and get a, a, a nice effect. For example, you can just combine subtlety with animation. As, as encoders, we have these locator yeah. beacons, which draw your eyes in, you know, to show you here's where we're now putting the cursor, mm-hmm. right? Which is useful not only in code rush, but useful in anything that's going through data. If you're drilling into data. When your view changes and the cursor moves. Yes. You, you want to bring people's eye to where the cursor exactly, is. Exactly. Exactly. So this impacts anybody who allows somebody to, dr- to have views into what I call big data, small views, which is what we're, everybody's dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. You have more data that fits on the screen. Right, so a lot of times, what's useful is you're you're at one place and you've got the cursor or the carrot or the selection, whatever you want to call it. You've got it on, you know, maybe it's on the upper left, okay. And you've got the view starts at like you know whatever data point you know one thousand and ends at data point one thousand one hundred, and then you drill in, and you drill in, you drill in, you drill in, and then you want to pop back out. Where each time you pop back out, you want to restore the view right where it was. And put that cursor right where it was. Mm-hmm. Because as humans, we're able to visually recognize instantly that we're back. Yeah. But if you shift that up or down, like Visual Studio does with the, the bookmarks, um, uh, what it does if I drop a bookmark at the end of a view right. and I move up to the top of the file and I jump to the bookmark, it goes back and it puts that bookmark in the middle of the view. 
And what t- happens is it takes me a moment to recognize that I'm in the same place. Right. It doesn't exactly match. Okay, we're, we're good at pattern matching, but if you make the pattern a little bit different, then it's not going to match. That's right. It takes a moment mm-hmm. right, to figure it out. Yeah. Right? It's, it's why my, my parents would put a bag over my head when they took me out to the woods <laughs> and shake me a little bit and then run. <laughs> That's a different story, though. That's, oh, yeah. We're somewhere else. You know, yeah, I think about it. A lot. Mm-hmm. I do. I, in everything I see, right? I, I, yeah, you, your UI thoughts go beyond because you're really focused in Code Rush on, you know, Visual Studio, which is clearly about text and cursors. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the UI we're going to be using in this brave new world of modern apps, there aren't any cursors. You know, we have. There, there, there can be, but there also but you, cannot be. Well, you know what right? I'm saying in it. In, but, in most apps, you know, there are only cursors when we have text fields to enter stuff into. But, you know, in that world of tablets and phones and in the brave new world going forward, your design principles that you think of also apply there. They do. I mean, you have a lot of fundamental thoughts here. They do, because the essence of good, great UI is essentially we're talking about maximizing efficiency Mm. of both motion and thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. We want to reduce... The effort required for motion and the effort required for thought. Yeah. You know, as an example, you know, talk about physical things, right? In the, if you're working on a desktop computer, right, which in the future is going to be ancient technology, right? But mm-hmm. you've got a keyboard and a mouse, right? And if you ask people how frequently do they switch between the keyboard and the mouse, a lot of people that work on the keyboard a lot and have to use the mouse every once in a while will tell you at, at the, the, the least amount possible. Mm-hmm. They'll say, I switch the least amount possible because there's more effort required to physically lift up your hand, look down where the mouse is, put your hand on it, and then start working. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you can't do any keyboard while you're doing that, and it's a lot, and there's some motion involved, right? right? Keyboard can be more efficient, right? It's, it's less, it's easier to hit the key. So people will try to find the, the path of the least effort, mm-hmm. right? And, and so as software developers, what we want to do is find the blocks to that and give them that path. Although isn't there really two stages there? I find when you're new to an app, you spend a lot more time on the mouse sort of roaming around trying to figure out where things are using mm-hmm. the tooltips and so forth. It's only when we get some expertise in the app that we try to keep our hands on the keyboard for the speed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what happens. And the reason that happens is because discoverability is not built in to accommodate keyboard users. Right. It's, it's, it's not discoverable. You have to, it's more discoverable with the mouse than it is the keyboard. And even more with touch. Even more what? More discoverable? More discoverable, yeah. Well, you got that instant feedback, right? Mm -hmm, That's very cool. Right. In fact, what, you know, one of my, one of my favorite things that, you know, when we, we built a, a connect interface for Visual Studio. I yeah. remember. So one of the <laughs> Who things. Who would do that? <laughs> yeah. It was a little crazy, but a little, but one of the things that you it built had, a guitar interface to Visual Studio. That's yeah. true as well. That You've was been awesome. crazy for that a while. That was actually efficient. But one of the things <laughs> that you could, one of the things you could do with the Visual Studio connect interface is you could put your hand out. Did you see this? Yes. And it would put a shadow of your hand on the code and then you push your hand down through the air and it would scroll. <laughs> right? But what would happen is when it got to the end of the file or the beginning of the file is it wouldn't move. Mm. And people would be like, uh, let me move it. Let me, uh, can't move it. Your interface is broken. And I'm like, you're at the top of the file. <laughs> right? And, the, and, and then I looked over at my iPhone and I did the same thing. It bounces. It, it bounces. bounces. It pulls yeah. like a rubber band. It goes back. I'm like, oh, they, they figured that out. Right? right? Genius. <laughs> Genius is over there. Right? So now I'm trying to figure out how to bounce the Visual Studio editor. Right? <laughs> and my boss is like, can you go back to Code Rush? Yeah, that's just right. Write a little more and if you scroll down all the way through the bottom, all the letters on the screen just sort of fall to the bottom of the screen. That would be even better. Yeah, I know. But you, you do crazy things like that once in a while, too. 
the spare time, I, yeah. where did it all go? I don't know. So I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, it's just amazing that you, you give your Kindle Fire or your iPhone or your iPad or your Windows phone, for that matter, or your Windows tablet to a kid, and they know what to do. You know, in five minutes, they've gone through every game. They know exactly what to do. They have those su- subtle visual cues of space right. and things that are off to the screen that prompt them to move things. There just isn't, doesn't seem like there's any training required to use these right. apps. And well, when you get rid of the keyboard, which, you know, it's very hard, like you said, to, to, we've used the shortcut underscores with menus to tell people, you know, you can use a accelerator key for this, but you have to have menus first and people have to know that you can click on them with a mouse in order to get. So there's this whole, like, you know, process of going through and learning and discovering those things. But when it's all touch, everything that you can do is right there and nothing else. So it seems like that, that is a, a the ultimate sort of, um, you know, removing thought and removing, uh, extra touch steps. And, and that's, I think, the challenge for us in designing these new user interfaces. Right. Is going to be how do we take the stuff that's meant to be, that was built for difficulty, really. And simplify them and, and granularize them in a way that makes sense. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources, such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting The Tablet Show. We were talking about the changing envir- horizon, right? The, the things that are changing out there, right? Mm-hmm. The platform is changing, the way we're interacting is changing. Yeah. Um, the basic principles, though, still apply, right? We want to we reduce the amount of travel distance, whether mm-hmm. it's a mouse that's traveling or whether it's a finger that's traveling, right? right? We want to have all the information available on screen. So, you know, as an example, if I'm going to click a letter on my keyboard on my screen and my finger covers the letter and it's a tiny keyboard like on a phone i need to see what key that was i need something to pop up to show me that yeah right there's an there's an application i promised myself i wasn't going to say this or talk about it but here goes it's coming out there's an application um by rovio called amazing alex so the same folks who make um the uh angry birds game Mm -hmm. and amazing alex is a uh, essentially you create these rube goldberg kinds of contraptions and you hit play and it gravity kicks in and everything moves and and you you try to accomplish various goals well one of the modes they have is a level editor where you can create things. And you essentially, you know, you put like the um, the bowling ball on the screen with your finger, you drag it up, and then you take it and you move it. The thing is, is when you're moving it, the bowling ball is right underneath your finger. And for precise, you know, content creation, you can't, you have to lift your finger up and look and then put your finger back down. You can zoom in and, 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 and do this, but it's this kind of repetitive process. Yeah. The piece they're missing 
is showing me what's under my finger yeah. in a little pop-up window to the side. Absolutely. It's a simple fix that would make level design but even so a, easy. But Go even ahead. a pop on the side, you're trying to get precise movement. The funny part is a mouse would be great at that. Yeah. But that's yeah. actually the thing that a mouse is I, good at is that very precise placement yep. and your hand's not on the screen. You can, you're down to the pixel in the way you're moving. Yeah. I just don't know that how you pop out from a finger and still have precise location. Oh, I, well, I think you do, well, two things. You can increase precision by zooming in, mm -hmm. and, and, and so you get precision. And then number two is you can see actually where you are, which you don't have that visual feedback when your finger's obscuring it. Right. Right? You know, so if you, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I've used applications where you've had to, on an iPad, for example, you've had to sign. Mm -hmm. And most people think they have to use their fingernail. It's very oh, unintuitive because you actually do use the pad of your finger, right. but they reduce that circle down to the to the. They center figure out the point. center. They calculate the center. They calculate right? the center. So you literally touch your signature, and you do have that level of precision. Yeah. So it is possible. Yeah, but it, but but you know when we're talking about tablet apps, we're talking about touching yeah. the button. The minimum button size is bigger right. than what it should, a minimum button size would be on a machine with a mouse. Right. right. You 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 have to accommodate that, yeah, right? You've you got to, you typically are dealing with a lower resolution than you otherwise would be designing right. for, and and the buttons are bigger. But if you are scrolling around in a picture, you could. Calculate the center of of the finger. Yes, you know, not you. Maybe the operating system could. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But trying to get that precise point exactly where you want it when it's under your finger and when you can't see it, it's hard. Yeah, it it's is hard. Yeah. It is, and and this kind of leads me to something that is. There's a lot of energy in my my mind thinking about this, and that is content creation on tablets mm -hmm. yeah. or on, on mobile devices, right? right yep. Content creation versus consumption. Consumption is very easy. easy. Yep. I want to look at yep. that. Click, you know, yep. drill me in, yep. right? But if I want to create content, it's much harder. And I, my sense is, is over the next five years, in the area of apps that allow you to create content, they will be getting better and more streamlined, more efficient. That's mm -hmm. kind of yeah. what I'm, I'm There are just some about. very simple things that I would like to see even now on a Windows 8 tablet. For example, you saw... The uh, demo app that I did for that uh, the line of business app, right? Robert Green built this for Microsoft, and there is a data entry screen, and the keyboard pops up and takes up half the screen, right? And it'd be really great if it was just a little transparent, so that I could see what's actually underneath the keyboard. So when mm -hmm. the mouse tabs to underneath it. Either the keyboard automatically moves out of the way, or it's a little transparent, so I could actually see. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of transparency when there's text involved. Mm -hmm. So I'm, 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 you know, it's, 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 it's hard to get a balance where I can actually read both text underneath and text above. But I totally, totally understand the problem of when I have something on top yep. of something I want to look at. Yep. That's not good. And, you know, in this idea of, you know, this amazing Alex thing, right? I'm, I can drag something anywhere on the screen and put it there, right? Well, if I'm on the uh, – one way to solve the problem is on my right side of the screen, if I'm on the left side, I show the magnifying window. Mm -hmm. If I move to the other side, I pop it over to the other. Mm -hmm. That's one way to solve it, mm -hmm. right? This idea that wherever I'm focused is – whatever's interesting to me is indicated by my finger position, Yeah. right? So if I go, you know, wherever I am, then that means I can put my – the other information that I know you probably want to see – on the other side. Right. You know, that is a solution. I'm not saying that this is just a, nope. this is the simple absolute fix. But these are issues but, that we have to deal but, with. But it's a direction, right? It's yeah. a kind of a direction to head, head towards. You want to have all the important information visible at once. Right. And if you don't, then you've got some strategies you've got to look at. Yep. Well, like, so what are you going to do? You've got, you've got a lot of data. Like I said, we go back to this, a lot of data, small space. Yep. 
couple solutions. Well, cropping is super common. We see this all the time. Mm-hmm. Even if you're going to do cropping plus like panning or scrolling uh, or zooming, mm-hmm. cropping is still showing a portion of the data, right? Mm-hmm. You, or well, not zooming, sorry, but scrolling around. Right? Uh, like a viewport. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's zooming. Making a bigger surface and moving around inside it. Yeah. Zooming as well. I'm sorry. I was thinking, so, so stretching is the thing that doesn't stretching or cropping, yeah. right, are your two choices. And mm-hmm. if you choose to go with cropping, then your secondary choices are, are we going to allow you to scroll mm. or are we going to allow you to um, right. uh, to maybe, to maybe you know, zoom and scroll or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other thing that, that I am a huge fan of that is not, I think, intuitive to feed people that have this problem is, you know, when you've got a high amount of data density, you've got a, you, your data density is high, you've got a lot of data on screen, just simply filtering out the less important data, either doing it automatically, which is like mm-hmm. Google Maps, right. where if you go look at the, the United States, you don't see all the roads. I think but, that, yeah, the problem may be putting all that data on the screen in the first place, right? Sure. You've got other, you've got performance yeah. problems and, and resource, potentially resource problems as well right. when you, when you do that, right? Filtering makes a lot of sense. You could also do it interactively. Yep. yep. Speaking of which, okay. So Visual Studio hmm. 2012. Yep. I want to say almost finally fixed the add resources dialogue. Finally, after trying like for two years or two versions mm-hmm. to try to fix this dialogue. It's now fast and performant. So we're talking about filtering, right? Manually right. filtering, right? right? They have uh, in the upper right a filter where you can type in whatever you want to filter it out. Mm-hmm. I am a huge fan when you have the situation, and this is non-standard, which mm-hmm. is why they didn't do it, but I want them to do it. And it goes like the, of, of the following solution. So, so what happens is this, is if I want to filter, like say to whatever system.drawing or whatever, whatever what piece I, I want, I go, I click in that or Are I hit. references or resources? Yes, adding references. Oh, references. Adding references. Okay. Adding references. Remember in 2008, it took forever. Yeah. yeah. 2010. I was still on the resources dialogue then. Yeah, you know, it took forever to bring this thing up. Yeah. In 2010, they said, oh, well, let's bring it to this page instead. Right. Yep. And, you know, but still, it was painful. Finally, now they've, they've got a solution that is professional, high quality, right. good solution. Um, but still, if I want to filter, I have to click or hit the hotkey to bring it up there. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go back and give focus to the results to, to move through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the, when, when you have this situation, I'm a huge fan of changing things up a little bit. And what I want is if you're moving left or right, you just are entering text, it just automatically goes to the text box. But if you're moving up or down or hitting page up or page down, it's moving the scroll bar. So the two, or or the list box, I mean, not the scroll bar, the list box. So if I hit down arrow, the the selected filtered item moves Mm -hmm. down one. Mm -hmm. The selection moves down one. Down Mm -hmm. arrow again moves down. Up arrow moves up. Mm -hmm. Left or right arrow changes the filter. Right. Okay. The, you you wire up the two controls so that they behave as one. Right. And now I've eliminated the need to move focus. I just intelligently know where I am right. based on what's happening. I've simplified the interface. Right. Because the up and down buttons don't do anything at the filter box. They don't do anything, anyway. and the left and right does so nothing scro- when you're in the scroll in the in the, in, in the list box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does nothing, and don't I love you think this, this combination. These are artifacts of old Windows behavior. I mean, uh, I, I the, think, the scroll well, bar is sort of a fundamental Windows control that. Needs focus in order to get messages, and you know what I'm saying. Like yes, there'd be you a have whole, to, there are a whole lot of kludges that would have to happen to make that work. Well, it's not a lot; it's a, it's a few. But it, it yeah. is. But when you do it and you try it, mm. it's suddenly like, oh, okay, it's so much faster and easier. But mm. what's good about this discussion is that you know somebody who has a, a similar you know dual direction yes. 
And these uh, happen all the time. UI display yep. yeah. box or otherwise can. It's not a lot of lines of code no, to add, not add at all to do at what the I'm talking level, about. Not at all. It's not a lot, and it's it's much more efficient. Right. It's, it's much more efficient. There's no more idea. You know, it's like both controls are focused simultaneously. Yeah. It behaves as if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you know sometimes we do forget that Windows 8 is a very keyboard centric operating system. You know, in, in Windows 8 in particular, because. They force us to the start menu and stuff. You really have to use the Windows key if you're going to get anywhere there. So um, not forgetting about keyboard shortcuts is a good thing, even in our even in our tablet apps, where there's keyboard involved. I'm sorry, are you asking? Are you no, s- no, it's you just think- an observation. I think it's good to uh, I think it's good to you know when somebody sits down with a keyboard at your app, even if it's designed for touch. You know, don't forget to put those shortcuts and accelerators in there to make things easier. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, I'm working on what I'm calling like the universal theory of great UI, mm-hmm. right? You know how Einstein was searching for his? Yeah, the unified theory. Yeah, <laughs> unified theory. I'm going to get mine. <laughs> now, granted, mine's not maybe not as impressive as what he was going after, right? Maybe my, my goals are yeah, a little cool. lower. My sights are a little lower. But I'm working on this. I am working on what I'm trying to get is a, a description that, uh, you know, that essentially describes great UI or at least the parameters that can you can tweak to make UI better or worse and which direction to put them in. Right. So when you see things like shortcuts, right, like three things come to mind. One is yeah. discoverability. Yeah. How easy is it to discover them? Right? And this yeah. is all coming from my universal kind of theory. Now discoverability, I didn't invent this concept. Sure. It's not, you know, this is all and uh, but that's one of them. Um retainability, how easy is it to remember? Right. Right? And then the third piece is path. Which is how many steps and how much precision is required. Right. For example, if it's a control shift alt combination yeah. followed by something that's not a control shift alt combination. And you're twisting your hand, and that's exactly what I right. do when I have to control shift alt something. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, that's you the, make, the hey, we're brothers. Crab yeah. Let's do this yeah. hand signal. You make the crab shape. Right. <laughs> the hermit crab sign. There you go. That, yeah. yeah. Three keys is at least one too many. Yeah. Well, well, that's because there's some, usually because we get back to this whole problem. Windows applications, there's so much crammed in one box. Right. Well, you know, you're talking about modern applications and then yes. being context aware, right? Well, if you're context aware, you don't have to use like, you know, all, you know, whatever we've got, hundred and something that's key right. combination possibilities. But the thing is, is that context, right? This, we write applications. To, our first goal in writing an application is to solve a particular problem, right? We've got constraints. Mm-hmm. I think the next step is like to make it smarter, right? So it's more efficient, right? Well, one of the ways you can make it smarter is you can make it kind of self-aware. In other words, the application can start to understand context. What is the user trying to do? Absolutely. Right? So you get to this kind of self-awareness stage. And there's self-awareness in in kind of the now, but then there's a second level of self-awareness, which which also connects with historical data, right? Like the undo stack, for example, to get a sense of the vector, Right? Where are you going? Right? To look at both the past and the future. And it's hard to write this to this level yeah. of context. To get to step one is, is non-trivial, right? For most complex applications to right. be context aware. To get to step two is another level of <laughs> non-triviality, right? Where are they trying to go? Yeah. Right? It's not, e- it's, it's not necessarily easy. And, and sometimes it involves machine learning. Right. Well, and you're building up a dynamic tree. It gets worse the further yes. down you go. Yes. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily an easy problem. But, but once you have that information, that information can be useful to infer meaning. Right? What is the user trying to do? Mm. And then you can eliminate some of those frustrating moments where the user is saying, it should know this. 
It right. should know what I'm trying to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the software like, will get its yeah. what it deserves, right? <laughs> that kind of those kind of moments. So, let's talk about the concept of space, and it, where, as a, you know, p- particularly as it pertains to UI. Okay. Yeah. So I love it. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this? Well, the good buddy of space is time. <laughs> like, like UI occurs across. Time, at least in what we do, mm-hmm. right? So there's, if you look at only at space, right, and not look at time at all, right? So you get rid of animation, and you're looking at, and you get rid of f- changing focus, mm-hmm. you know, on screen, right? And you're just looking at like layout and presentation of information, yeah. right? You get into a world where it, everything that you learn and and everything that makes sense here also makes sense in everything else you interact with in the real world, right? Okay, just off the top of my head, just some ideas that come to mind. One of them is proximity. Okay, and proximity is tied to to contextual relationships. So as an example, um, if I have a data entry form and I want to ask for the customer's first name and last name Mm -hmm. in two different fields, those are contextually close groups of data. The first name and last name are related to each other, mm-hmm. right? They are, they are, they are, they are contextually close. So proximity guidelines say that things that are closely related to each other should be close to each other as well right. on the form. So what that means, and it's almost common sense, right? We kind of do this intuitively, mm-hmm. right? Right. We group things that are related together. Right. But if you go into um, a product like Microsoft Excel, or is Microsoft sponsoring the show, by the way? Uh, yeah, it's all right. Go ahead. Okay. So if you go into pro- edit point, um, you know, whoever's editing, you know, do the thing. Um, so, <laughs> so if you go into, um, if you go into Microsoft Excel and you say, build me a graph. And in fact, actually, it's not only Excel, it's like a lot of products. Yep. But you say, build me a chart. What it will do is it will graph out the data and it'll put a legend off to the right. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the entries in the legend are closely related to the data that you're seeing graphed. And yet they are far away. Mm. Right in the legend, a legend is a violation of the proximity guideline. The proximity guideline says, "Put the the label right next to the line, right? Yeah. Put it next to that data so that you can see it. So your eyes aren't moving so far, right? We're talking about reducing effort. One of those is eye is gaze shift, yeah. shift in gaze. Right. This is not specific to any given product. I mean, we've been putting legends on graphs when Pythagoras was drawing them. You know, you're right. I I want to apologize to the the uh, Excel yeah. team. Exactly. That's like that was that was that was like you know. And I kudos to Pythagoras. Yeah, yeah. kudos to Pythagoras. Yeah. Good job, Pythagoras. Good job. For innovating, <laughs> setting us back, you know, a thousand years <laughs> with your 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 freaking legend off the side. <laughs> this is a shout out to any descendants of Pythagoras who are listening. We're sorry. <laughs> I do not mean to, you know, to put any disparage on your ancestor, but, but I'm telling you, seriously with Excel. It was a proximity yeah. violation. He should have figured it out. So <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's, you want things to be close to each other that right. are contextually related. We you, were talking, you, you know, so, you and I were talking before the show. I was telling you about my daughter who's drawing and, uh, who's, who's like discovering her artistic talents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it came, sort of came out of nowhere. And the only thing that I did with her is I read the drawing on, uh, what is it? Drawing on the right side of the brain. Yeah. Which is a book about drawing. And one of the things they teach you in that is to look at your hand, to draw your hand, you look at it and you draw with the other hand with, and what most people do is they look at the thing they're going to draw and they close their eyes and they look at it in their brain and then they draw it from their brain. Yeah. Using your, your mind as a buffer. Yeah. But that's not what you're supposed to do. What the, the method is to look directly at what you're drawing and then 
draw. Train your hand to train move. Train your hand to move to what your eyes see yeah. without, without, you know, using your brain as a, as an interim point. It's beautiful. And that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about, you know, shifting your gaze because you're, you're keeping a mental model in between when yeah. you shift your gaze from yes. the graph to the legend. Yeah. Whereas if they're all integrated together, you can take them in as one yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about space and, you know, I was talking about this idea of putting things together, right? That's essentially grouping. Yeah. Right. And you can kind of imagine, right? If you, if you're walking through a field and you, you come across, you know, uh, uh, 10 people and seven of them are standing closely together and three of them are standing closely together, but separate from the other seven, mm. your mind makes certain assumptions, right? We make assumptions based on what we see, things that are close together. We infer meaning from that, mm -hmm. yeah. right? If you look at the way we simply write a paragraph out, the words have letters close together, mm. and then we separate with a space, right? Essentially like a margin to some degree between the words. Mm -hmm. And between paragraphs, we all often separate with a line, right? And then sometimes we, borders come into play. And this idea of borders, by the way, I've been like thinking about borders for like the last six weeks. Right. Trying to figure out what is the magic number on borders? How do we figure yeah. out how far away they are? And I finally got to a point where I kind of think I get it. And it goes like this. I mean, it, and here's the thing. The border groups the pieces inside of it, mm -hmm. so it kind of needs to be close to the pieces inside, right? A border that had an inner margin, you know, that was huge, that was far away, doesn't make any sense, right? It's not really grouping, right? Think about a fence around a property, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. If the property, you know, consists of, you know, thousands of acres, the fence is kind of like you don't really see what it's doing. But if it's right around the property, then you can say, oh, there, it's containing it, right? Mm -hmm. So – so if you're putting a border, for example, around text, what seems to be the magic kind of constraints on where it's too close and where it's too far, in, from my perspective, it's too close. If it's closer than if the distance between the start of the word and the, and the border is less than a space, the width of a space. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is you confuse that to with maybe another word. Right? Sure. Your eyes see some pixels out there and it has to go check, oh, no, it's a line. Right. Right. Now, of course, if you drop that, if you, if you drop the contrast of the line down like you're supposed to, that wouldn't happen. Or what if you're using but, space as the border? Yeah. No of, lines at all. Just no space. No lines at all. Um, I, I love it. Well, that's the more, yeah. the very Windows 8 way of doing right, things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm totally happy with that. Yeah. It's, I, I, I feel like there's maybe a little bit too much space around the edge. I look at that and I'm like, oh, I could get more in. Right. You know, that kind of thing. You know, feed it, right. you know, push it a little more. But yes, it's, w w here's what's happening, right? The border, the only old days, the border, that right. line around, whatever that was, mm -hmm. that, that used to be a very specific way to say these are grouped together. Right. But if we drop the, the, the contrast down, it still works, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And what people have discovered, if we drop it down to zero, right, drop the opacity, you know, its, it's opacity down to zero, it, it actually still works because right. there's enough space between it and the other pieces, right? Mm -hmm. When we write books, we don't put borders around every paragraph, right? Right? We just have the space there. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. And a little bit of space between items that are grouped together, more space around the other items. Right. Define the different. Oh, that's Maybe one way to group. More, you could, you could, more space is, is that cue from reading that this is a new paragraph, this is a new idea, maybe even a new chapter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have the space between paragraphs and then you, if you have two spaces, that's like a, a totally new idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, almost like a new chapter sure. heading. Yeah. You can set things off and you can also indent, right? right. Adding more space on the left. Right, this is a quote. Right, we've been doing this printing thing and writing books thing for hundreds of years. Yeah. Right, we kind of got it working pretty well. Yeah. But yep. 
It's interesting though, right? Because, I mean, think about this for a second. If you're listening to this and you're saying, well, Mark says I should be, you know, we should reduce effort. And he says gay shifts are important. Well, if that's true, Mark, then why is it that when we read, we always read left to right. Why don't we read left to right and then go right to left and then left to right and then right to left so we don't have to move our eyes, scan them all the way back to the beginning of the line each time? Why, Mark? Hmm. Are you like completely insane or what? <laughs> why isn't that happening? You must be insane because the books aren't that way. And, and I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking that would be a more efficient, faster way to read, right? I wouldn't, I'd, I'd, I'd skip my scanning left time completely. You know, live, move it out, and now scanning left on <laughs> reading. I think you've invented a new way to print books. <laughs> okay. Read them. However, there's another principle of great UI, and that mm -hmm. is consist consistency. Yeah. If a line starts on the left or right, but I don't know because I'm just jumping in the middle of it, mm -hmm. right. how do I know? I have to kind of read to get context. Oh, you might have to offset each line a little bit so that, you know, there's a visual we, cue there. Maybe you're right. I mean, we could maybe invent something. While we're at it, like, I'm really not happy with the letter C and how it has two different right. sounds. You can send the royalty checks to Franklin's net. If I, if I was in the presidential rounds, I'd be, you know, I'd be talking, you know, the debates for the United States. I would be talking about ways to simplify the alphabet. You know, simplified <laughs> text and reading. And how about one language that the whole world can use? One now? language. It really doesn't we can matter all speak. now. And the all un connected. my universal date format, you saw that already, right? Yeah, that's good. It's, it's a DD, capital MMM, YYY. We just have, you know, 98 other countries or 100 other countries. I'm too. telling you, it's unambiguous, right? Ambiguity is bad because, yeah. right? Ambiguity, you're like, okay, which, where are we going? You know, you, you have to think for a moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's now, it's now the user's burden to determine context, mm. right? Rather than the computer's burden, right? Ambiguity right. is bad. So. So what are some of your favorite, uh, apps UI wise besides Code Rush? Let's see. I guess I can go to like websites. I think the first thing yeah, I kind of want to, you know, I, I, I like, I think that the, the major search engines like, uh, Bing and Google, I think are doing a very, very good job, right? And, and also, let's start maybe with Google Maps, right? Okay. I'm a huge fan of Google Maps. I use it all the time. I've used Big Maps a couple times as well, and they, they have similar features. But, but the, the, one of the cool things I love about Google Maps is its ability to let me go through a lot of data you know, I, it, there's a huge amount of data there, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. go through in a way that's useful and efficient and explore in exploring right. for me. Um, when it's, you have, in other words, when you have a map and you can scroll left, right, up, down, zoom in, or out, zoom in, right? Stuff, yeah. As I zoom in, I see more data. The yep. data, you know, there's lots of data there, and it, it's only the piece I'm interested in. The piece right. I zoom in, right? It's missing, and I think, in and and I think most applications that allow me to zoom in and zoom out, you know, drill it or drill into data, drill out, right? Mm -hmm. I, I drill in and drill out, these applications are missing kind of what I would call a standardized way of bookmarking views. I think, and also comparing views. Mm -hmm. When you have a lot of data, sometimes you want to do side-by-side -side comparisons. Yep. Um, sometimes you want to just, you know, mark an important view and come back to it. Right. Google Maps does not give me that ability to do that. Yeah. I would love for it to have it to do that. I love Chrome, by the way. Chrome, mm -hmm. I really like a lot. I think mm -hmm. Chrome has got, um, you know, it's got a good job of discoverability. It, it kind of can explain, you know, I think the first time you close a tab, it says, hey, you just closed the tab. You want to open it up again. If it wasn't a mistake or whatever, you hit control shift T. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it just tells you as you do things, you know, the first time or whatever that, you know, here's how you can, you can fix it. Um, sure. I love when you have a whole row of tabs up and if you start clicking one to close it, the next tab moves right underneath it with that X right underneath the mouse. Right. Yeah. So you can just click right? one spot. Yeah. Bam, 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 bam. Yep. That works, you know, for, for most of the tabs until you get to a point where there's uh, enough there that it doesn't. Yeah. Um, they, they use animation there too. Yep. Right. Animation 
is actually incredibly useful when things are moving. Right. Right? To show people, hey, we're moving. When one view changes to another, fill in the spaces yeah. where it, how it moved. Yeah. So, so I think that the, um, I think the search engines also are doing a pretty good job of saying, here, out of all the data that's out there, here, let me show you the data that you've, that, you know, that, you know, here's, here, let me give you some previews of where you're right. going to go. Right. I think those are not bad. Um, I, you know, the, the thing is though, is I, I rarely get to a point where I say in my head, that's an app I really, really love, mm-hmm. right? It happens like maybe a couple times every month or something. There'll be one aspect of the app that I said, oh my gosh, look at this. And I'll be like showing it to my family and talking about how awesome it is. And they're just like, <laughs> okay, he's, I hope he stops talking yeah. soon, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. They don't. One website I really like and I keep going back for it is Newegg. Really? Newegg so, lets me filter uh, what I want to buy by just about every. Uh, every feature and every category of property yeah. that that item has. I will take a look at that. I've not looked at it in a long time, like years and years. Yeah. So that that sounds yeah filtering. So so what I just heard is you like this because you're able to accomplish a task yep. there easily. Yep. I take it that you're not able to accomplish in other places. That That's right. Heard. You know, if you want hard drives, every every possible property of a hard drive from size to manufacturer to price range, you know to to, to speed, all of that stuff is itemized, and you get to pick nice. categories and just drill down and drill down, drill down until you get to the list that you want, and then you sort them by best rating and how, you buy one. How is discoverability on there? For example, if you select a set of options that, like maybe, produce no results or produce a conflict, or there's something like that, do, do they do they prevent conflict from occurring by just removing those options? That hasn't happened to me. So, so okay, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think we're just about out of time, and uh, it might be a little bit short of a tablet show, but we got some swag to give away here. So one big round of applause for Mark Miller. And we'll see you next time on the tablet show.